Stories of the gods and goddesses of Greece and Rome have been told for millennia. And yet of the many words that have been and typically are used to describe the Pantheon, prudent is not typically found among them. The countless affairs of Zeus, the rage of Poseidon, the brutality of Ares, are only some of the qualities which have earned this pantheon a questionable reputation. Yet, among all the stories of mortals humbled before the gods, Greco-Roman mythology tells of one woman who challenges the gods face to face. This woman, either incredibly brave or incredibly foolish, as we shall see, is named Arachne. In her competition with the goddess Athena, Arachne weaves a tale which examines the relationship between humanity and the beyond. And whether or not Arachne is correct in arguing that the gods are unjust to humans, which will, of course, be up to you to decide, her defiance is, without question, absolutely remarkable. When viewed with the right perspective, the story of Arachne's transformation speaks to personal and humanity's overall metamorphosis as well. My name is Sean. Welcome to Mythos and Logos. While it likely dates back farther, the oldest surviving version of the story of Arachne comes from the Roman writer Ovid. Near the midpoint of his epic collection of mythology titled Metamorphoses, Ovid introduces Arachne, a young woman from Lydia in what is modern-day Turkey. Though her background is relatively humble, Arachne is distinguished by her talent for weaving. Even the gods and mythological creatures know of her legendary talent. To watch her wondrous work, the nymphs would often leave their vine-clad slopes, delighted both to see the cloth she wove and watch her working too, such grace she had. To all who see her work, Arachne's talent bears the recognizable mark of divinity, a gift from the gods, as though she had been taught to Athena, known to the Romans by the names of Pallas or Minerva as well, herself. Yet Arachne denies having any teacher, taking full credit for developing her own talent, even making the declaration that she would gladly take Minerva or Athena on in a challenge of skill. As soon as she says this, an old woman in the crowd watching delivers a warning to Arachne, that all gifts come from the gods. With age, she tells Arachne, she will learn to take her glory among mortals, but to give the gods their place as well. Arachne responds, 
declaring that she will challenge Athena anytime, and is met with a dramatic scene. Why doesn't Pallas come herself? Why should she hesitate to match herself with me? Then Pallas said, She's come, and threw aside the old crone's guise and stood revealed. The nymphs and Lydian women knelt in reverence. Only Arachne had no fear. The woman was, in fact, Athena in disguise, a revelation at which Arachne involuntarily blushes only momentarily before regaining her composure. Arachne defiantly follows through on her challenge to Athena. They are each to weave a tapestry with a scene of their choosing to see if either can find flaw in the other's work. The scenes they weave not only tell a number of mythological stories, but each provide a unique interpretation of humanity's relationship to divinity. Each woman proceeds to weave a tapestry showcasing a number of stories from mythology. Athena, for her centerpiece, depicts her competition with Poseidon for the naming of the city of Athens. She skillfully weaves the threads, showing how she and Poseidon each made a gift for the city. Poseidon creating a spring of water, and Athena gifting an olive tree. In her tapestry, as in the legend, the people of Athens preferred the goddess's gift, as Poseidon's water was as salty as the sea he rules, while Athena's olive tree would go on to provide them with the wood and food for Athens to grow into a great city. In the four corners around her victory over Poseidon, Athena weaves the images of mortals who dared to challenge the gods. In one corner, Athena weaves the thread into the shape of the twin mountains Horodope and Haemon, siblings who became lovers in a desire to be like Zeus and Hera, who were punished by the same gods that they imitated. In two other corners are images of women who claimed to be more beautiful than Hera, queen of the gods, and were each transformed into cranes as punishment. And in the fourth corner is the man Cinerus, in grief on the steps of a temple, the ending of a tragic story which unfortunately has not survived to this day. On the outer edges of her tapestry, Framing the bounty of the city of Athens for having chosen to honor her, as well as the scenes of mortals punished for challenging the gods, Athena weaves the delicate thread to form an olive branch, symbol of peace. This supposed peace offering is, of course, deeply ironic, considering that the theme of her work is the dangers of disobeying the gods. But complete... Athena reveals her tapestry to Arachne, both demonstrating her talent and giving one final warning to turn back. 
Arachne, however, has no interest in Athena's peace, which she understands to be nothing short of subservience. She sets to work on what is surely a more ambitious piece than she has ever attempted before. A collage of more than 20 scenes in which the gods used their powers to deceive humanity. She weaves the tale of Europa, the herdswoman who was amazed at the majestic bull which had joined her herd, then swept away on it across the sea, later revealing itself to be Zeus in disguise. She also depicts Zeus transforming himself into a satyr and kidnapping the woman Antiope and leaving the woman Denae with child after appearing to her as a rain of gold. She shows how Poseidon disguised himself to be with Medusa, how Apollo concealed his identity as a herdsman to his lover, the king Admetus, how Dionysus came out to Erigone after transforming into a bunch of grapes, and a number of other encounters, which I would love to tell but would distract from the story at hand. Just know, for those keeping score at home, Zeus takes home the gold medal for misuse of divine powers, with nine appearances on Arachne's tapestry, with Poseidon taking second place with sixth, and Apollo earning a place on the podium with four. Along the fringes of her tapestry, Arachne embroiders beautiful, blooming flowers, interwoven with a creeping ivy, made with such skill that one would think the ivy truly is holding the flowers back from the fullness of their bloom. When Arachne completes her tapestry, Athena is able to find no fault in it. In an uncharacteristic fury for a goddess of wisdom, Athena launches herself at the tapestry, tearing it to destroy this record of heaven's crimes. The usually wise goddess then snaps, attacking Arachne with her own sewing equipment. The goddess's strikes causing such pain that the seamstress hangs herself to end her pain and misery. Seeing this, a realization washes over the goddess whose anger begins to blend with pity. Athena realizes that her fury at Arachne's tapestry was because it told the truth. And all she has done is add one more to the list of divine abuses of power. Athena's anger turns to regret, and she takes a potion brewed by the magical goddess Hecate, and using it, restores Arachne to life. Though, perhaps to save face, or perhaps to appease what anger remains, the goddess restores Arachne changed, shrunken, and still hanging, made to weave for all eternity. When Arachne breathes the breath of life again, it is as the world's first spider. Arachne's transformation can be equally capable of inspiring hope and fear. 
Some understand her story as a lesson in humility, that all gifts indeed have a source and that we are never truly the ones responsible for our own accomplishments. Yet, to others, Arachne's masterpiece is a defiant stand for humanity, oppressed by misused authority and rising up to question it. The true moral of the story is up to you to decide. Yet, in either case, the myth's endpoint demonstrates a possibility of change. Ovid's Metamorphoses is a uniquely ambitious work, presenting all of history as an interwoven and connected series of myths. Consisting of 15 books in total, the earliest focus on the creation of the cosmos and the interactions of the gods with each other, while the later books use the structure of mythology to tell history, from the Trojan War and the founding of Rome to what were for Ovid current events, like the doctrines of philosophy and the assassination of Julius Caesar. In fact, the work concludes with Caesar, a mortal man, rising to become a god. Now, the story of Arachne opens Metamorphoses' sixth book, a thematic midpoint. Before this story, the stories are almost exclusively about gods, and after which they start to become about historical acts of humanity. It's at this work's midpoint, presented in this story of Athena and Arachne, that the importance of humanity is first starting to be seen, as gods and mortals interact. Ending with our ascent to becoming the driving forces of history, and eventually, thematically, equals to divinity. This transition can be seen in Athena's moment of regret, and makes the case that Arachne was at least somewhat right. While Athena does in the end impose her authority by transforming Arachne, by pausing for a moment, rather than simply killing her, Athena acknowledges that the gods, in their divine authority, should perhaps somewhat loosen their grip on humanity and give credit to human accomplishments, just as they desire credit for being the source of those gifts. That way, like the flowers being held down by ivy on Arachne's tapestry, a loosened hold may allow humanity to truly bloom to its fullest potential. Stay tuned through these messages for a very important update on the channel and a bonus on the life of Ovid. Hello, I am very happy to let you know that according to projections between this video launching and the next one, we should be reaching 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. I am so thankful, amazed. Um, I had never expected that we would have this kind of awesome community that's been 
really growing here. And there's been a lot of great people I've met, great conversations have been had. Thank you for being a part of that. For our 1,000 subscriber special, our very next episode is going to be our first look into a modern mythos, a fictional mythology, still very beautiful and symbolic, in which we will be tackling Avatar The Last Airbender. It's something I'm very excited for. It's going to be a lot of fun. And don't worry, it's still going to mostly stick to the classics, but I think every now and then it's great to highlight some of these modern stories that have the same symbolism. Now, on to that bonus story for you. A reader familiar with other tellings may notice that many of the myths in Ovid's Metamorphoses are much more critical of the gods and much more sympathetic to humans and other characters than most other tellings of the stories. Medusa, as a famous example, is given a tragic origin story, whereas in earlier tellings she was simply a monster. And most scholars point to this being a result of Ovid's personal life. Originally trained to be a lawyer, after his brother's early death, Ovid turned away from the profession and devoted himself to his dream of poetry. And this small act of abandoning his family's expectations pointed to a bit of a greater rebel spirit, as much as you can imagine an ancient Roman punk rocker. His early work was mostly dedicated to love poems, but one poem in particular landed Ovid in very hot water with Roman authorities. Though no one today knows exactly why, Ovid was exiled from Rome. When asked, he simply stated two reasons, Carmen et Error, a poem and a mistake. Some say that it was a love poem and a love affair in the imperial family, while others say Ovid's work was political and he became entangled in an assassination plot. Some even suggest a mixture of the two. And though no one is exactly sure what the poem or the error were, it's easy to imagine that Ovid's desire to question authority with his work was a factor. So the Italian-Roman poet was exiled to the far edges of the empire, in modern-day Romania, where he would live the rest of his days. And while he originally dreaded life among the so-called barbarians, in time Ovid grew to love the people and the culture which he had been forced to adopt. And even today, the Italian-rooted Ovid is often praised as Romania's first great poet. And Ovidiu is a common name in the country, being, of course, a Romanian version of Ovid's Latin name, Ovidius. Now read throughout the world, Ovid's work has stretched much farther than anyone could have imagined the work of a dropout lawyer could, and just shows a testament to how strong creativity is. <laughs>